0: Hey, hey, welcome in, welcome in. Oh, good morning, good morning. Hey, okay, yes, thank you, thank you. Um, thanks for coming in, thanks for coming in on the live stream. Um, I was one of you guys last week, and now I'm all good to go, I'm feeling a lot better. So, woohoo! Um, yeah, I don't have a ton of announcements for you, I only have one main one, and that is to fill out your communication cards. Um, and it's just a really good way to um, just communicate some prayers, prayer requests. Um, We have a prayer team um, ready to go, so if you are feeling sick like I was last week, you can always communicate that, Um, and we have a team that will be praying for you. Um, I also just think it's a really cool opportunity to, you know, just praise God and just see how cool things are going on in your life. We'd love to hear about that um, just so we can you know get to know you a little bit better and I just think um, it's a cool way to stay connected in the church and so I highly recommend filling out the communication card. Um, Other than that I don't have any more announcements that was it so I will welcome on Bryce coming on to speak so let's give him a round of applause welcome in let's go.
1: Good morning. Good morning. Great to be with you today. I uh, left Smoky Point Point. Uh, it was 32 degrees and then I got here and it was like 80. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's, it's beautiful traveling south. So anyway, good to be with you de- today and uh, thank you Jason for uh, inviting me. He's probably watching online right now, drinking coffee, legs kicked up, you know, that kind of deal. If we haven't met, my name is Bryce. I uh, live up in the Smoky Point area, and I'm at Alliance Church up there, Smoky Point Community. And uh, I have the privilege of being a director of Reach Training Institute. And it's a uh, ministry school with an accredited degree. And our whole uh, purpose to exist is to send men and women into full time ministry. And uh, it's been such a joy to uh, see the next generation and uh, help them along their way. And I can't think of anything better for me to be doing at this stage in life, you know, uh, before I hit the exit, um, <laughs> to <send> a, <laughs> and uh, to see other people going into ministry to serve the Lord. And uh, it's, it's so fun. I'm teaching a couple freshman class. I have a couple other uh, professors that are working with me right now. And I'm teaching a junior class called Special Topics and it's a lot of fun because I was a care pastor for about 24 years. So some of the things like doing baptisms, communion, funerals and memorials, dedications, pastoral counseling, hospital visitation, weddings. Um, they're getting all that kind of practical training. Some of the skills uh, that you need in ministry. And uh, so it's been fun. It's, it's, it's been fun teasing one of my students too because he is in a serious relationship. He's a single guy. And, I, I told him, I said, why don't you invite your, your girlfriend to come to class next week because the whole time we're going to spend on how to plan a wedding. <laughs> and I said, you could get her all done right there. And uh, he, he's got a good sense of humor. He, he enjoyed that. So I know you're in a sermon series uh, on simplifying your life. And it, it's so true. I saw those words flashed up on screen and I was starting to get stressed. <laughs> <laughs> There are so many things in life that can distract us and pull our attention away. All the obligations and activities and even uh, some of the messages from our own culture that, let, that tell us that more possessions is going to make life more full. And it does make life more full in a lot of ways. And we can get so distracted and so disconnected from really where our focus should be in life. And, and uh, we can get spread way too thin. And so, yeah, the message to simplify life is really a good, good concept to work through. And, and I was thinking of this, just even driving here, change in our lives is so slow, but sometimes it's worth spending time on those things that we really need to take deeply so they sink deeply into our lives so that we don't just make an impulse change but actually spend the time to process what God is doing in our hearts and what He wants us to do. And uh, possibly because we're taking it much deeper, maybe change will even be that much longer lasting. So it's worth spending time on this. I know we can get into our pursuits, put our attentions and affections on so many things and the pleasures of life and the drive for success. And we can come to the point where we're just overwhelmed with it all. We can't manage it all. And we feel like we're really not living the abundant life <laughs> that Scripture talks about. Uh, you know, today it's, it's not uncommon to hear of simplifying life in terms of our material possessions. Words like uncluttering, purging, or even becoming a minimalist. I have a friend that calls herself a minimalist. And uh, she truly lives that way. In fact, I'm on this thing called, not offer up, it's buy nothing. Yeah. You heard of it? Yeah, great. I know I put a fridge on there once, man. It went like that. Um, <laughs> and uh, interesting is, you know, I'll see stuff from her all the time. And it's like, okay, I bought a two-pack of toothbrushes and I have one extra. It's going to be out on my porch. Pick it up by 10 o'clock this morning. I mean, you're talking minimalist. I think to myself, well, so what happens if you get rid of all your stuff and then there comes a time when you need something that you gave away I'd make a terrible minimalist (laughs) Uh, I have my own issues believe you me okay Um, a few years ago we moved from a larger home to a smaller home and so the word downsizing came into play because I knew I wasn't going to bring all the stuff from that house to the new house I was moving into and you know after 26 years of marriage and four kids you collect a lot of stuff yeah and uh, we went through some major purging, but even today I look at my garage and I go, man, I don't think I went far enough. <laughs> you know, um, I came across some decluttering tips and I'm going to share those with you today. And I thought, you know, just realistically, if the points of my sermon aren't that great, you're going to have some really good <laughs> tips. Okay. It's, it's not, it's not going to be a bad deal for you. You're going to have, you're going to be happy you came. All right. Um, here's some tips. Number one follow the 80-20 rule here's the principle Um, usually people only use about 20 percent of the things that they own on a daily or semi-daily basis for example if you have 10 pairs of shoes typically people only wear about two of those pair Um, if you have 20 cookbooks typically you probably only use about four of those cookbooks okay so that's the principle that can help you in your decluttering Okay, so what do I use most? Uh, here's another one. Number two, forget about sunk costs. I know part of the reason we don't like to get rid of things is because, man, we spent a lot of money on that. You know, we look at things and we go, man, I, I, I paid a bucket load of money. Uh, it's worth a lot. And, you know, chances are we can't really resell it for that value anyway, unless it's a Uh, American-made Fender Strat guitar. Let (laughs) let me know if you have one for sale. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you know you can't get that cost back. So sometimes in decluttering, you have to forget about what you paid for something, okay? Uh, Here's number three. This is a good one. Check if the item works. Uh, This is, uh, I had a skill saw that didn't work. And, you know, I kept it for about 15 years. I even bought a new skill saw (laughs) that worked. And my whole thought was, I'm going to fix that old skill saw. I mean, because I I have two hands, two skill saws. I mean, I finally got rid of it. I think it was last year. So, Um, you know, that coffee mug, that favorite coffee mug that the handle broke off of? And you stick it in the box and you know, someday I'm going to glue that handle back on because I really love that mug. You know how many coffee mugs are out there? You can go to the thrift store and you can pick them up like for 20 cents. I mean, oh. Uh, number four, think of the last time you needed it. Yeah. Maybe you haven't used it for, since like 1970. <laughs> Track which items you actually use. Number six, ask yourself if you love it. You know that painting you took out of your grandmother's home? That's just ugly. <laughs> and, and you're storing it up overhead in your garage. You're never going to put it on your wall, but, but it's sentimental. It came out of grandma's house. Ask yourself if you love it. And the, the last one is sleep on it. No one's telling you you've got to get rid of it today but by tonight. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sleep on it. Sleep on it. Think about it. Okay. So, some good tips for decluttering. Well, I'll tell you what. I want to talk about decluttering your spiritual life today. And I'm fully aware from personal experience and from talking with so many people of their Christian experience that it's so easy to live a cluttered spiritual life and, and not enjoy fully God uh, the life God has for us Uh, especially when it comes to getting beyond personal failure Uh, sometimes it seems like we we can't get far enough away from our past it slows us down it weighs on us it haunts us with memories of our failures and our flaws i want to couch our discussion today through the Very significant experience of a New Testament Bible character by the name of Peter, one of the disciples. He went through his own struggles with failure and I'd like to enter into his world a little bit today with you. Uh, Use your imagination with me because I'm going to play with the story a little bit. Um, Let's join Peter in his experience and uh, we'll start by his standing by the fire. The crow of a rooster broke the silence that had surrounded those that were standing by the fire to keep warm. It was in the early morning hour. Peter turned, feeling not only the cool brisk air of the morning, but a chill went through his entire body as his memory was flooded with the very bold, brash, and boastful outburst he made when Jesus said this, this very night, this very night you will fall away on account of me. Oh, even if all fall away, I never will, Peter so confidently declared. Yet Jesus persisted. He said, I tell you the truth, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Yet Peter wasn't buying it. Maybe this was really meant for the others. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Peter walked off into the darkness of that early morning, and twice he had been questioned as he stood by the fire. You're one of his disciples, aren't you? I am not, Peter declared. The third time he was asked, somebody said, didn't I I see you with him in the olive grove? Peter knew he had him dead to rights, but the horror of Christ's arrest by this angry mob made it all too easy to make way to denying that he even knew the Christ. And no sooner had he muttered a firm no, he punctuated his answer with some cursing. And suddenly, off in the distance, he heard the unmistakable sound of the crowing of a rooster. Peter, Cephas, the rock. Right. (laughs) His heart had turned to water like the lion on the Wizard of Oz. He had no courage when it was called for. When the moment came, when put to the test, when it was time to stand for Christ, Peter had waffled. His courage withered and he willfully denied the very one that he had so confidently affirmed all his loyalty and all his devotion. And Christ had never done him wrong. And here Peter betrays his closest friend. What value would you put on that kind of friendship? Why, why call Peter a disciple? be more accurate to say he was a traitor. And for Peter, he felt hopeless, He was in despair, guilt, shame, remorse. And this whole experience was now haunting Peter. Maybe those three years as an apprentice of Jesus had been a total waste of time. Maybe a career in fishing would have been the better option. Maybe Christ was being way too optimistic when he called Peter to follow him. Would Peter really amount to anything? Certainly, Jesus was highly disappointed in Peter. He had expected great things, and Peter expected great things from himself. And now Peter feels useless. Yes, Peter the rock. More like Peter the chicken. A huge failure. Peter's overcome with remorse. He's at a loss of what to do next. Are you feeling a bit what Peter's feeling? We come to John chapter 21. We learn that Peter has gone back to the work that he's so familiar with, fishing. And he's with six other disciples on the Sea of Galilee. It's been two weeks since Jesus rose from the dead and man, the events have been amazing. Disturbing on the one hand and confusing, but also very exciting because Jesus was alive. But what next? It seems for some of the disciples at this point, the return to former life was the way to go. For Peter, maybe doing what he did best, fishing. And so he with the other disciples, they're casting their nets, they're hauling them in, they're working all night long, and they're on that lake that contains so many memories. You know, it was from that lake that Jesus called his disciples to come follow him. They were probably in the boat that They were in when they saw Jesus walking on the Sea of Galilee. And maybe it was from that very boat that they were fishing in that day that Peter had stepped out at one time to to walk on the water. And I'll tell you what, that would be better uh, than any good fishing story, wouldn't it? (laughs) (laughs) They'd been fishing all night long without catching a single fish. Their muscles ached. Their bodies were weary. The thermos of coffee was empty. They were no doubt just a little frustrated. And you know what? Fishing can be that way, right? We have a few fishermen. I've fished for hours without a single bite. I do have to agree with this statement, though. The worst day fishing is still better than the best day working, right? <laughs> but you know, for the disciples, this isn't a hobby. This is, a, this is their livelihood. Jesus is not done with his disciples They've invested three solid years together 24-7. It hasn't been a waste of time, not to Jesus. The disciples don't recognize the uh, the stranger that's standing on the shore who calls out to them, hey, you catch anything? That's what you do when people are fishing. You see them and you go, hey, you catching anything? Normal question. Their response, nope, hardly one lousy fish. The stranger calls back and says, throw your nets on the other side of the boat and you will find some. What? How does he know where the fish are? And and do fish normally go on one side of the boat or the other? (laughs) But the disciples have nothing to lose. They cast their nets on the other side. And amazingly, the net is so full of fish, they're hardly able to haul it in. And it was John who suddenly recognizes who this stranger was on the beach. He excitedly tells Peter, it is the Lord. And Peter, without even a thought of grabbing a life preserver, he jumps in the water and forgets that he even had a brand new pair of Galilean flip-flops on, dives in and swims to shore. He's so excited to see Jesus. Peter then helps drag in the wet net and... uh, They actually count the fish, 153. Jesus proceeds to cook breakfast for the disciples. This was the third visit of Jesus to the disciples following his resurrection. Today, with all that backdrop, I want to complete some unfinished conversation between Jesus and Peter. And uh, I think in, in some ways we can say that Jesus is helping Peter declutter his spiritual life and get back on track after a huge failure. And I want to say that um, the hope that Peter finds in Jesus is the hope that we have for decluttering our own spiritual life as well. Last week, Pastor Jason challenged us to take care of the soul in kind of a holistic perspective where we find healing and wholeness and peace and, and confidence and a place where we actually limit our distractions. And I love the analogy he used last week, and, and I wanna bring that into play here today. He said, instead of looking at life like a pie, with a whole bunch of slices in it, look at life like a wheel, and all the spokes leading to the hub. I think that's so good. I don't wanna say Jesus is the hub, Everything we need and everything we find is in Jesus. And, and we want to align our lives in such a way that all these different things in our life feeds right back into the hub. The source, Jesus himself. So let's pick up the conversation. John chapter 21, verse 15 to 17. I'll begin reading. When they had finished eating their scrambled eggs and pancakes... Jesus, I, I think they had those. No bacon though, no bacon, sorry. I know. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Let's stop right there for a minute. Do you truly love me more than these? Was Jesus pushing, uh, uh, pointing to the fish? Is he saying to Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these 153 fish you just pulled in?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Probably not. You think he was pointing to the leftover pancakes. Mm -hmm. Jesus, do you love, hey, I know Peter loves breakfast. Um, Do you love me more than the pancakes? I think Jesus was pointing to the other disciples and saying, do you really love me more than these? Do you remember earlier when Jesus said, you are going to fall away from me? Jesus, uh, and Peter so confidently says, hey, they may, but I won't. So Peter, do you really love me more than they love me? Hmm. There's something about love in this that is a strong message for Peter. We're going to see it repeated here. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know that I love you. It would almost seem like Jesus is toying with Peter a little bit, asking him the same question three times. It's obvious Jesus is serious. You knew your mom was serious when she used your full name, (laughs) right? (laughs) Simon, son of John. Um, I think Jesus wants Peter to see the weakness of his own love, and I was thinking about this. I read a scripture last week that was so cool. Psalm 36, seven, how priceless is his unfailing love. But you know, when it comes to my love for the Lord, I fail. I have this imperfect kind of love. And I think there's one thing that I want to be careful of. I don't want to be so confident of my love for the Lord that I can't slip and fall because I fail. And I think, I think part of the message Jesus wants to get to Peter here is, Peter, your love is not an unfailing love. You're going to fail. So Peter, do you, do you really love me? And I think um, Peter the scriptures don't really necessarily come out and use the word, but Peter is prideful. And I think part of this repair in the life of of Peter and in this discussion is he wants Peter to come to a place of humility. A place of humility. And break through that pride. So Jesus is very intentional about the conversation. and And he also knows that there's a, there's a side to this. Peter, Peter has failed. And Peter has lost confidence in himself. He probably has doubts whether uh, he should stay in the discipleship program. He probably feels he is flunked and, and he's not even sure if his credits will transfer. You know? Yet Jesus has more grace for Peter than Peter has for Peter. I love it in the scriptures when it says, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. I'm thankful for that. Aren't you? Jesus wants to bring healing and restoration to Peter, who no doubt sees himself as the biggest failure of all time. Absolutely worthless to the kingdom. But Christ wants Peter to know this. I'm restoring you. I'm reaffirming you. And I'm bringing you back to the call. I'm bringing you back to the call. And it's interesting, he says to Peter three times, Peter, son of John, do you love me? And you notice it was three times that Peter denied Christ. It's almost as if each question comes back to bring healing to every one of those denials. He reassigns Peter the task. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, care for, nourish, shepherd, protect the flock. Jesus knows that Peter truly loves him. Peter needs to know, and Peter needs to accept Christ's restoration for him so he can move beyond his failure and follow Jesus again in faithful service. Have you ever been stuck in failure? I have. Have you struggled to move forward in your spiritual life? Have you felt the guilt and shame and maybe even that sense of being useless useless to God? I've I've failed. Have you asked for forgiveness and somehow maybe didn't feel like you were forgiven? I have. Got to know forgiveness isn't based on our feelings. (laughs) But we go through that struggle, don't we? Certainly. Certainly. The truth is we all fail in our journey with Christ. We all have an imperfect love. But his love's unfailing. In fact, in in 1 John it says if we claim that we don't sin, we lie. The truth is not in us. And sometimes I fail more often than I'd like to admit. I was thinking uh, back in 1985. Some of you probably weren't born yet. Um, Back in 1985 I moved out from Montana took my first job in ministry in Everett, Washington. And the church couldn't afford me full-time, so I was part-time and I worked part-time at Top Foods over in Stohomish. And uh, my job title was helper clerk. You know, helper clerks get all the good jobs. (laughs) Pushing carts, breaking down cardboard boxes, carrying out groceries, and occasionally... When a customer would spill something in the aisle, you'd hear it over the microphone. <laughs> Helper clerk made it on aisle five. Helper clerk, aisle five. And you know, I was thinking about that. I think that's sometimes my spiritual life. Jesus, we have a cleanup on aisle five. It's Bryce again. <laughs> yep. Cleanup on aisle five. It's a mess. So how do we get past our failures? How can I move on in my spiritual life and not be held back and weighed down and cluttered? We're talking about simplifying. We're talking about simplifying. And, you know, in simplifying our life spiritually in this way, there comes a freedom. And that's what we're talking about, freedom in Christ. Let me share five truths of God's forgiveness that can help us declutter our past. Number one, it's not about what we do. It's never based in anything you can do to earn God's forgiveness. I think there's sometimes that we uh, get some twists going in this whole thing of forgiveness and maybe we don't realize it, but we're putting a work kind of mentality into it. Well, maybe if I just clean up my act, maybe if I uh, have a few good days, God will forgive me. Grace is never earned. In fact, there's only one way to receive grace. Receive it as undeserved. For by grace you say through faith, this is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works. It's always undeserved. Now you might say, well, you know, I confessed my sin, but I don't feel forgiven. Interesting conversation, uh, if you've heard of R.C. Sproul, uh, he shares a conversation that he had with a woman and she, con- she, she was talking with him. She said, you know, I've confessed my sin to God. And, and she truly was repentant, confessed her sin to God, but she said to R.C. Sproul, I don't feel forgiven. And R.C. Sproul said, well, you need to repent. She goes, what? I need to repent? She goes, I've already asked for forgiveness. He goes, no, you need to repent. You need to repent of your unbelief in God's forgiveness. Number two, God's forgiveness covers all our sins. It's not simply good for one thing we've done, but for all sin, past, present, and future. He doesn't pick and choose and say, well, you know, I'll forgive that one, but oh boy, I'm not forgiving that one. He forgives all our sin. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now in the Greek, that word all means all all. Three, there's no limit to God's forgiveness. And you know, we often come to God with the same sins and God continues to forgive over and over. Number four, God forgives and chooses not to remember. Now, this is the interesting part here. Hebrews 8:12 says for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. God chooses. It's not that God has a bad memory. He chooses to forgive and forget. But we don't have that pleasure and privilege. We still live in this human body and we still have memories. And the enemy knows that we have memories. And I think when it comes to this whole thing, the enemy wants to keep us bound up. He wants to keep us distracted by our failures. And uh, the enemy is known as the accuser. And I think the enemy takes our memories and makes this play havoc in our spiritual lives. So we have uh, an enemy that will try and produce more guilt and condemnation and accusation. And you know what? You got to come back to what the scripture says. Remember the sin of unbelief? There's also the privilege of belief, faith. Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you know what? I've had to use that scripture over and over again in my spiritual life. Come back to whatever the lies of the enemy are sending your way. Come back with the truth of scripture. In fact, it'd be good to memorize those so you have access to those scriptures wherever you're at. The fifth thing is this. Through Christ, we can let the past go. Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Here's an alternate translation. Don't let yesterday's failures Derail you from the goal of your upward call of God in Christ. Press on for the gold medal prize until you meet the Lord Jesus at the finish line. Peter, do you love me? Then get on with the task. As I shared earlier, this is something that I've struggled with in my own spiritual journey. And I finally came to a place where I realized something. I was claiming to express faith in Christ for salvation, but failing to express that same faith in believing Him for forgiveness. And it's all by faith. Remember the analogy of our life as a wheel? Expressing faith, whether for salvation, forgiveness, or anything else, is learning what it is to keep Jesus at the hub of your life, at the center of your life. All that we need and all that we have spiritually is found in him. And we live by faith. In John 21, Peter's not only loved and forgiven, but he's restored and he's commissioned back into a life of sacrifice and service. Now Jesus says to Peter in verse 18, I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Now personally, that's way too much information. <laughs> because we know that Peter ended up dying as a martyr and, and uh, he actually requested, he was crucified and and. He requested that he be crucified upside down. He didn't want to be crucified the same way as Christ, didn't feel worthy in that sense. Uh, I wouldn't want to know my future, but you know, I, I think Jesus is calling him back to what it means to be a disciple. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Now, interesting part, I didn't put it in my notes here, but I can't help but remember the next conversation that comes up. So I'm just going to tell you the conversation. Peter comes back to Jesus and he he goes, what about him? And he's pointing, here here Peter's doing this comparing thing again, right? Before he says, hey, they'll all fall away, not me. And now he's going, okay, that's that's my journey with you. What about that guy? And he's pointing to John, the disciple Jesus loved, as the scripture says. What about him? If I'm going to die for you, what about John? Jesus comes back with, I love it, he comes back with a, that's none of your business, you know? Um, he says, if I want him to remain alive, that's his plan. That's my plan for his life. That's none of your business. You do your plan. I've got a plan for you. So it's interesting, even in that, we see this, this uh, personality of Peter coming out once again where he, he has this tendency to compare himself well, if you're giving me the death plan, what's his plan? (laughs) I know this. God wants to be glorified in our lives. Our lives will not all look look the same. The path will not all look the same. But we all have the opportunity to glorify God with our lives. And the ultimate challenge to us is are we going to follow him? That's what he concludes this with. With Peter here, he says, follow me. Now, if you're gonna be always looking at your past and failing to accept the forgiveness of God, I'll tell you one thing, it's hard to move forward and it's hard to follow Jesus if you're always attached to your past. So I encourage you, move beyond your failures. Take some of the principles we shared here today, put those to practice, exercise faith. Whether you feel it or not, exercise faith and go, God, I am going to stand by faith because you have said it. That's faith. Not because we feel it, not because we see it, but because he said it. Keep following me. That's how I want to live. I want to move beyond my failures, unhindered by my past. I want to run the race set before me as I follow Christ. And I want that for you too. May the words of King David be true of us. As he says in Psalm 119.32, I run, I run in the paths of your commands because you have set my heart free. That's simplifying life. I run in the paths of your commands because you have set my heart free. Amen. Love to pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for your unfailing love. Thank you, Lord, that you love us with a perfect love, even in spite of our, our weaknesses and our failures and our imperfect love. Yet you in your grace, you forgive and you restore. And Lord, you don't scrap us. You don't send us out to the scrap pile at all. You say, okay, get back on your feet and come, follow me. Fulfill my plan for your life and glorify me. So, Father, I pray that we'd be encouraged. I pray, Lord, that you teach us what is to simplify our lives in this spiritual way. And, Lord, I pray that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.